Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. Hi! (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, it is 8.30 in the morning my time. Generally, I'm a morning person, but you are way hyper for me this morning. It is. um, I am jet-lagged as fuck, too. So, um, Okay, so for those kind of recordings, I can use language. Okay, good. We'll get all British. Everything I do is R-rated. So, hi, good morning. Thanks for joining me. So, thanks everybody coming to you live from Moscow and San Francisco, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, awesome. Common misperception that I actually lived in San Francisco just because of one dome, but no, I actually have been living in LA for fifteen years. Awesome. So, Layla, you you were the chief marketing officer of One Dome, right? Is that your? That's right. Yeah, I was one of the founding team. One of the co-founders and played my main role was CMO. Though, as I mean, you're familiar with startups, you kind of put on a bunch of hats. Though they were contradictory, you know, you play the COO, which is all about saving money, and then you know the CMO is about spending money. So it was a bit weird. You know, happens to be a little multiple personality. It works out, but yeah, yeah. CMO, CMO is the right title. Yeah, cool. And you've got a deep marketing background. Talk a little bit about, because, you know, one of the things that I rail on about, and this often happens in startups, is marketing is like the last role to be filled often in a startup. And a lot of startups kind of feel it's a bit of a luxury, which it isn't. So, you know, the companies I wind up working with often have no marketing function whatsoever. And so I was really thrilled when we met because we could talk marketing. (laughs) And so what's your background and how did you get here? Yeah, um, great question. So yes, I, I'd say consistently over the last 20, 25 years, marketing's been a consistent through thread. I started in the late 90s in technology, building, not me personally coding these systems, but effectively building large dot-coms and CRMs and content management for the big telcos and other companies in England. Dot-com bubble burst that led into a very random segue of being asked to set up and run the largest, at the time, legally licensed venue in London, which, uh, which I mean, going from tech and .com to, you know, operations of a 30,000 square foot space where... When we you did legally licensed, you mean alcohol? When I say legally or- licensed, I mean the legal license capacity was 3,000 people, but the venue could support about 4,500. So from a, at the time, uh, officially, uh, it was the largest licensed venue. Yeah, alcohol okay. and other and other entertainment and stuff. So yeah, so you know that was an interesting segue because events has been part of my life as well, but never really thought of it as business. Learned a lot about operating venues, running large scale events, especially the large productions. You know, after a few years of that, really felt too young, too early, too dangerous a world that I probably should step out and get back into a more um, I mean, this is the wrong term, but corporate-ish, you know, a little bit less um, crazy and risque in some ways. Some place where, where drugs weren't a part of the nightly uh, engagement at work. You know, I, I did nothing like this on camera. Early 20s, what can I say? Those were the days, you know, almost, well, 25. Oof. Anyway, feeling old suddenly. So moved out here to the U.S. actually, started a web shop with a friend. That quickly became, it was 2004, early days of web in terms of, sorry, early days of web as a platform for brands. So thinking of it as another channel 
we quickly realized and aligned ourselves with the big ad agencies, the Crisp Importers, the JWTs, you name it. None of them had digital really capabilities in-house, and a lot of them had sold some great ideas to many and other brands. And so they kept coming to us, and we basically built a model around that. So the company sold to Sapient in 2007, mm. and I jumped went to an agency called Blitz in LA, smaller. I'm, I'm much better at growing businesses than sort of coming in at a 500 or 5,000 person company and then trying to figure out what to do at that point. So I uh, grew Blitz to about 120 people in a few years. We did a lot. And this is where I think, you know, my passion in sort of cross-platform came to play. We did a lot of cross-platform work in video games, especially with mm creating the OTT mobile and desktop experiences for franchises like Halo, uh, Gears of War, Call of Duty, Mortal Kombat, a number of titles back then where it was how do you, the story and the, the connection point was how do you uh, keep people engaged inside in a title or with an IP that only drops every two years? How do you keep them in that world? How do you ensure that that sort of loyalty and affinity remain, but also continue to recruit newcomers. So if you think of your hardcore core and, and mass audiences, it sort of gave a real world extension and a sort of community aspect. It was interesting. It was those early days of how do we build community around these titles. And then I, I sort of shifted when I left Blitz, I decided to spend more time in entertainment, went over to Trailer Park, which is the largest entertainment agency in, in the country. And they um, ended up working on some of the biggest titles with with the biggest studios from Warner and Universal to Sony and I mean name them there everyone in there um, in my experience and in my work in entertainment I continued on to about three years ago I started doing a lot more experiential and started paying attention to audience behavior and realizing that consumers were shifting, especially in entertainment. The traditional cinema model was dying, despite box office numbers going up. What you were seeing is number of tickets sold were going down. So it's just, you know, things get more expensive. So the, you know, the value ends up sounding quite amazing. But um, yeah, if you look at consistently, number of tickets sold um, have declined over the last 15 plus years. And in around the same time, 2016, this was when Museum of Ice Cream and Meow Wolf both came into the market, both sort of blew up right off the bat. And I think it was just a validation of people want more. People want something different. They want to engage. They want to participate. And I was just paying attention to all these brands, all these studios doing these great activations, super fun, like spending all this money. But it wasn't, it was to a very small audience. Didn't really go beyond that. And and I thought that's where there's an opportunity. And I, you know, I was sort of burning out from the agency world, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a tough, tough. It's, a, it's a grind. It is a grind. And when your role is a growth role, it's very hard to sometimes, you know, you, you have to take risks to shift significantly. And it's often hard for owners to sort of get out of their own way to yep. take those risks. And I get the fear, I get it, but it's hard to make dramatic changes unless you make dramatic changes. And I think, that, look, the reason for that is because, you know, you've gotten to a certain point in your business where you feel like you have something to lose. And and that's the, you know, it's the fear that stops you from changing. And, you know, I've been there, I've been there in a couple of different businesses that I've, that I've started and owned. And it's like, you know, I think disrupting yourself is the hardest thing to do in business because you just wait for your competition to do it. Yeah, I mean, if you're a smaller agency, that's definitely that's definitely very true. A bigger one is so set in its own ways that trying to convince people of change when 
it's kind of working for each department. It might not be working as a whole company. Mm. Uh, it's just, it's really hard and it's frustrating. And all I've, all I've ever wanted to do my whole life and continue to do is just great experiences, be it, you know, digital experiences, be it campaigns, be it, you know, actual real world experiences like we did yeah. for one of them. So when I left, very consciously left the agency, well, there's a story there that maybe not a web one but you know I actually ended up in the ER thinking it was an ulcer that had perforated that you know I thought I was so stressed out that I thought I had an ulcer that had burst and in that moment as I'm waiting to get diagnosed and you know and I'm just in absolute agony in the waiting room of the ER I just made decision I was like that's it I'm done nobody should endure this kind of stress for anyone else's business let alone their own business I mean this is crazy and next thing you know, it's my appendix. But um, it's either way, my decision was made and yeah. I left with a plan and the plan being, you know, really clear. My background has been at the intersection of entertainment, technology and content. That content has been everything from digital to art. And and I really wanted to make sure that the next thing was truly at that intersection and really encompassed all those things. I really believe that's possible. So I, that's sort of what I put on paper and. And it sort of started happening. You know, I got a couple of calls, did a little work with an agency who was working with The Void, you know, started getting really into the VR world, learning more about that. And then I worked a little bit with Brent at 2Bit, you know, and sort of as they're approaching and we're looking at their launch of their park. And um, AR for me has been something that I've dabbled in since 2008. I think the first AR project was done with Blitz and it was, I believe, it was Mattel or it was one of our toy clients. And um, it was a web-based, you know, character card. Think of it, you know, you put it in front of your webcam. And the idea was that you had a physical toy and then you used the card and that would open up a digital world. And it was a way to bring the real and the digital together back then. Yeah. So it's sort of the opposite of what we're doing now. But it was way too soon. I mean, you think yeah. it's still way too soon. And that was way too soon. <laughs> that was way, way, way too soon. Yeah. Way too soon. But I, I fell in love with the potential of the tech and what that could do and how that could create these dimensional layers. And, you know, as I'm working with uh, different folks, one Dome came into, you know, my world through a yeah. friend who was one of the original co-founders. One Dome had a slightly different vision. I mean, the vision mission as a company was always the same. Uh, I don't think that ever changed. It was really um, trying to sort of create a movement through the arts and open up the arts to larger demographics and really build a community through creativity and collaboration. And the actual sort of trajectory was slightly different. Initially, there was a dome model, but I mean, the name One Dome and domes actually have nothing to do with each other, which is kind of ironic, but domes were part of the original story. And it was just, you know, realizing domes are not the easiest to execute. It's an expensive proposition. Dropping one anywhere, you know, is a few million dollars, um, yeah. if you think about it. And it's a lot of work. It's like putting up a building uh, in some ways and, you know, and having to strike that down. But one day we were sitting in, I was sitting in the dome and it was a real mix of random stuff going on in there. There was like, I believe it could have been Android Samskara sort of spinning around and in 360 inside of the dome as in the projections. And then we had these props. These were all sort of different activities. We were sort of R&Ding a bunch of things. And these props, these like, I think there was some trees and then some random objects. And 
And I say this because I was literally sitting on, you know, one of the dome chairs, which is like a deck chair because you're like lying back. And I have a HoloLens on at this point. And there's like a manta ray flying around in AR. And I just saw there was a moment where I was like, you know, that moment of connection where you just see all these layers and there's content. None of them matched at all. But it was just interesting to see suddenly the depth of layers in this mixing of realities, you know. And um, lo and behold, like within a few weeks of that, vision and this idea and I was like oh well this is mixed reality um we found the space on market street which happened to have a um a river and rocks and a waterfall I mean you, you saw it so when you kind of have a vision like that and an idea and then you find a space that almost begs to be a layer of that reality it just felt we just felt this was you know it was sort of let's do this and that's where the true mixed reality the unreal garden vision came to life was, you know, sort of having that idea and then seeing a space that looked like that and being able to visualize, well, if you dress up the space and add more physical, and then um, what happens if we add in different sound layers, projections, and AR. So that became the first product experience. And the driver behind the idea of making Market Street be one of many, what the hope was to have many locations, you know, with one being sort of your your uh, template. And so um, I think that probably also leads to some of the challenges we faced as things went on. Because um, when you sort of, if you look at where our peers are in the space in some ways, if you look at the kind of money that's been raised, if you take a Meow Wolf at 150 million and, you know, two bit at whatever, 40, 50 million by now, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but these are numbers that come with a hell of a responsibility and a commitment to, oh, no, this isn't just for the one location. This is now we expect several planned and start going. And it's so frigging stressful to just get one location and to get it right. You know, I mean, it's like, it's all good and well to have the money to open six at a time. But I mean, we're doing things for us, especially we were doing things that had never been done before. You know, I had that conversation with Brent from 2Bit, you know, just as they were getting ready to open their first one. And you know, and they were talking about he was out scouting locations already. And I'm like, dude, you haven't even opened your first location yet. And, you know, he's getting pressure from the investors to expand. And, and yep. I'm like, you're just going to replicate all your mistakes. And then you have to go fix them in five different locations. And, you know, and for a number of reasons, they've slowed down the rollout and it's given him a chance. Now he realized he said, you know, a couple of weeks ago on this show, he's like, yeah, it's still in beta. And they've been open for a year now or over a year. Yeah. The operations, these big complex things that have never been done before. And, and what you guys are doing was like another <laughs> level of complexity because of the emerging technology and the fact that it was art. And like, how do you describe it? Like, it's really easy, you know, two bit, the micro amusement park. You can imagine what that is. It's a really small amusement park and I go and I have rides and I have fun. Right. Even that's, the hard, though. that's hard to, even that's hard right? to market though. You know, yeah. it took them a while to get the right kind of imagery, videos and content where it doesn't look posed. It doesn't look like staged, right? You don't want it to yeah. look like a staged, beautiful, produced shot. You want people to genuinely be having fun and that excitement and happiness and joy and whatever is showing. That's yeah. your best marketing tool. At the end of the day, if you can show that or, you know, or be a museum of ice cream, we just have really a lot of colors and people, you know, colors... Look, you go to their uh, Instagram online. I mean, it just slaps you in the face. It's like, oof, you know, and it, not in a bad way. It's like, that's it. So if you don't, I don't know. I, like, I get a little bile in my throat when I go by Well, there. I mean, look, I, I, yeah, I could sit and spend 20 minutes on the Museum of Ice Cream and my frustrations there. Look, it's, 
you know, they found a model that worked for a specific audience. They were the audience and they knew how to speak to their audience, the millennials, and and yeah. they did it. And they're now raising, I uh, saw another ridiculous amount of money they just raised or something to do more. But there was nothing else there. So they got, uh, got it. And, you know, the color really helped. If you don't have the color and you don't have the, I mean, it's still even hard with, with two bit, right? You think about it, it's beautiful inside. It's high end, it's polished. It's not necessarily the first thing you think about when you think amusement park running around you know you kind of so it's just making sure that there's so many expect well actually there's a bunch of things i would have done different i would have given away tickets the first three months well before we get there hold on let's let's make sure i'm not sure everybody knows what one dome is so i want you to describe one dome for people who like you know for somebody that said, what's one dome? I want you to tell how you would describe it. And then we're going to watch, I'm going to refresh my browser and we're going to watch a video to kind of give people some more context. One dome was, was a immersive, an immersive entertainment company with the idea was to have multiple locations. So with a single location that started in San Francisco that housed three experiences, these experiences were founded on the basis of art. So all the content were, brought together by different digital artists and actually traditional artists as well to create three ticketed experiences. The first um, mixed reality experience. And when I say the first of, I mean, truly mixing multiple layers of reality. We were first market in terms of having physical sound projections, AR and even haptics by E3 this year, which we can talk about at the end. We had a second experience that had no headset, which was liminal. It was 10,000 square feet of what I call Burning Man in a building and it was uh, 15 interactive and immersive rooms interconnected, mainly projection mapping. And then we had Feast, which was our immersive dining experience, which you were able to join in, which was a 32-person seated dinner, five courses with interactive projections that augmented the dining yeah. experience itself. Wondom was really an artist collective. We wanted to be a platform where our locations and the experiences themselves were such that artists could plug in and to be able to help artists really come to market because this new medium of AR, VR and immersive has opened the door up to all the creators out there, animators, designers, others who might not have been perceived or seen or saw themselves as an artist to be able to bring that talent into out, into the, the world, yeah, into the masses. And, and um, the accessibility of... The tools is seems to be enabling, you know, so many people to do so much in it. And, you know, just actually, yes, two days ago, at the, I'm, I'm here in Russia at this event called the Skokolov uh, Open Innovation Forum. And there was a company there showing basically WordPress for VR. Yeah, I, I saw them. I saw yeah, them at they're, XRS they're, last they're, week. They have an office in San Francisco. And it's just like, it's yeah. amazing how accessible they're making all this stuff. I mean, incredibly accessible, and yet we're still not there. I mean, it's more like it's got to be in the hands of the right people. So I think I think what's happening and what's beautiful and what we've seen and, and continues beyond one dome because the technology that built the Unreal Garden was created by Enclu, E-N-K-L-U. They are the software company behind the Unreal Garden and a number of other mixed reality experiences now. And what they've done is they've built a creator platform and they've opened an AR makerspace in San Francisco that allows people to go, not only you can sign up to the platform and it's really easy, even I literally make AR experiences all day long. I don't have that much time in my day, but you know, it's that simple that it sits a cloud-based, it sits above a Unity or another game engine and allows you to sort of 
build these experiences and go live into experience. And because it's uh, immersive HoloLens based, they've opened a space that provides access to the lenses. So you can come in, you can actually create in person and, and then even share with people who are buying tickets to actually experience it in the space at the same time. So the creator market is incredibly important. And I'm glad that so many people are sort of opening up to that market right now yeah. because we need content. So it's great that once the people come with the, and buy the headsets, they need somewhere to go or they need somewhere something totally. to see. So that's the end of part one of this interview. Please join us for parts two and three shortly.